Luke 10, verses 1 and 2, page 868. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Colleen. So a few weeks ago, I embarked on a great journey with a few of my brothers. We got together and we decided we were going to begin the quest of watching all three Lord of the Rings movies. Now, this was no ordinary quest because we weren't just watching the theatrical cut. We are watching the extended edition. That's about four hours per movie. That's, that's quite the investment. I think we started at 8.30 the other night and I was in bed by 1 a.m. after the movie ended. But I love the story of the Lord of the Rings and I'm willing to stay up that late because of how great the mission of the people in that story are. Think, you begin the story peacefully in the Shire. You see some hobbits running around enjoying good food but then they're introduced to this ring, this weapon of darkness that will bring destruction to not only the Shire, to their peaceful land, but will bring destruction to all of Middle-earth. So a few, a, a few heroes gather together to begin this mission of destroying the ring, of destroying darkness. And I love watching this movie because I get so wrapped up in the grand, majestic, mission of the Fellowship of the Ring as they go through battles, as they wade through marshes, as they deal with Gollum, who's trying to kill them in their sleep. All of these great things, this fellowship is going to destroy the ring, and I'm caught up in this great mission. And then as I take a step back to think of the mission, I'm reminded that although we don't have a ring to destroy, although we don't have orcs and urukai to slay, we ourselves are caught up in a grand grand mission that God has called us to. So this morning, I want to tease out what that mission is and invite you to take part in that mission with me. So this, this talk, this sermon, it may be a little bit different than usual. We're going to land in Luke chapter 10. We're going to draw out our mission statement from there, and then we're going to spend some time being very practical to figure out how do we do mission as Trinity Community Church. So the mission of Trinity Community Church is this. We exist to glorify God by making and mobilizing faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Trinity Community Church exists to glorify God by making and mobilizing faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. When Jesus came, he came preaching the gospel, encouraging those around him to follow him. We exist to glorify God. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we bring much glory. We bring much fame to our creator, God himself. We are to make and mobilize, and we're going to tease those out quite a bit, but making means inviting those to follow Jesus. We are go called to call out others to follow Jesus Christ, to re pre repent from sin and to believe in him. But we're also called to mobilize each other, to equip each other to do this mission, to complete and fulfill this mission. So before we dive into what that means for us, 
I want to dive into the scriptures to see how does Jesus do this. And I think we can learn much from the way Jesus does this in the book of Luke. So if you're not in Luke, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10, uh, page 868. And before we get there, I want to give you a little background of what's been going on in Luke. So Jesus has come. He's been born. He's grown up. He's begun his ministry. Once he begins his ministry, he comes preaching that the kingdom of God is near. He preaches that there is a kingdom, not like one here, not a physical kingdom yet, but one that God is ruling, one where there is no sickness, there is no sorrow, there is no sin, there is peace with God. There is relationship with God, and one day that kingdom will be a physical kingdom where God rules his people here on earth. So Jesus comes preaching, that kingdom, it's here. And he calls people to repent, to believe, and to become a part of that kingdom. Jesus then begins calling individual disciples. Now you might remember, if you're familiar with the scriptures, that we see Jesus calling 12 men to follow him. In Luke, it's very interesting. We're introduced to a few guys named Peter, James, and John. They hear Jesus preaching. They go out to fish. They're fishermen. Um, Jesus comes out with them, and he tells them, put your nets over this side. And they're like, Jesus, we've been trying that all night. It doesn't work. Jesus is with them. They cast their nets. They pull out tons of fish. They're amazed at what Jesus has done. And Jesus says to them, you see all these fish that you've caught? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The ESV says, catchers of men. Jesus took this picture of catching fish, and he said, I want to invite you to catching men, to fishing for men and women to become part of the kingdom. This isn't some manipulative act to persuade people to do something. This is a message and invitation to come persuade people to join the kingdom of God, to be saved from sin and to experience relationship with God for eternity. So Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to do that, and they immediately follow him. It says they left everything and they follow Jesus. Can you imagine if you were at your job? Someone comes to you, says to do something strange, but you follow what he says, you find success. He calls you to follow him, and then you leave everything to follow him. Jesus calls his disciples to leave anything that's holding them back from loving him, from following him, and to follow and obey him, to proclaim this message of good news that Jesus saves, that the kingdom of God is here. In chapter 9, we see Jesus sending out the 12 disciples again to preach the gospel and to heal with the power of the Spirit. So now we see that these 12 men, not only are they following Jesus, not only are they now preaching the gospel to those who need it, they are empowered by God's Holy Spirit to heal. They are empowered to cast out demons. We see great authority that these men have to preach the gospel, to invite others to follow Jesus, to repent, to believe, and to be saved from their sins. Jesus is inviting his disciples to participate in the building of the kingdom. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus then gives a warning. Look with me at verse 57. We'll read a few verses here. Jesus gives a warning about following him, what it might look like. He says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. 
To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, these men are following Jesus, but Jesus gives a strict warning that they were to follow and that we must hear and listen to. Following Jesus will be costly. Following Jesus will be difficult. His followers are called to do difficult things in his name. That was true for the 12 disciples, and it's true for us. We're followers of Jesus, and he has called us to a glorious mission. But this mission, it'll be difficult. Moving to chapter 10, we see that Jesus now sends out not just 12, but 72. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we grow from 12 now to 72. Now, one interesting point about this number 72, we might ask, why is it that Jesus is choosing 72 disciples? It's possibly an allusion to Genesis chapter 10, where we see 72 nations representing the entire world. So perhaps Jesus is alluding to a worldwide mission that would grow from just these Jewish men that are following Jesus to one day spreading to every nation, every tribe where all different kinds of people are spreading the gospel, are proclaiming this great message that Jesus has come to save from sin and sorrow. He tells them that the harvest, it's plentiful. Now, What is the harvest? We often don't speak with pictures like this. What does it mean when Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful? Well, the harvest, it's an eternal gathering of God's people. If you were to look at the end of the story in Revelation, we would see a picture of God's people being gathered together with him in his kingdom, all of them, and they are being harvested up as his followers, as his people, as his family. God invites these 72 people to participate in the building of the kingdom, to go out to spread this message of good news to all of those who don't yet know Jesus. And then he exhorts them to pray for laborers. We see that his first command to them was to pray. Pray earnestly that God would continue to send workers, to send laborers into this harvest, into this gathering of God's people, into this mission of proclaiming the gospel to every man, woman, and child. And now for thousands of years, the church has been praying for these laborers. Isn't that neat to think about? The 72 there, I'm sure they began praying that God would send laborers into the harvest, and now each and every generation is reaping the benefits of that prayer. Now we are part of that prayer from Christ. We are laborers in this harvest called to go out on mission to call all people to follow Jesus, to repent from their sin, and to follow him. We are those laborers. 
Now, I want you to take a moment and consider the grandness of this mission. God invites us to participate in the building of the kingdom. Now, who are we? We are sinful people. If we think of this kingdom picture, we are the rebels. We are the lawbreakers that are standing outside the gates of the kingdom, banished from the kingdom because of our sin. Jesus Christ came, lived perfectly, died on the cross, and rose again so that all who believe in him might become citizens of that kingdom. Now, you and I are citizens of that kingdom, and God himself has invited us to join him in this task of proclaiming the good news of the gospel, to invite other people to join the kingdom of God. God has welcomed us to enjoy that privilege. Do you see it as a privilege? Do you see being on mission? Do you see proclaiming the news that Jesus has come to save? Do you see that as a privilege? Or is it a duty? Is it a tough responsibility that you have to deal with every day? Or is it a great privilege to speak on God's behalf to welcome those to follow Jesus? So, God invites us to participate in this building of the kingdom, and we do that by carrying out this mission. And again, we go back to Trinity Community Church's mission. We exist to glorify God by making and mobilizing faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. So knowing that from the scriptures, God's invited us to take part in this kingdom building, what do we do with that? How do we actually go about living on mission. And this is where I want to get into the weeds of what mission will look like. How very practically can you and I live on mission so that we can welcome others to follow Jesus? Well, first, we ask the question, what does it mean to make and mobilize disciples? So making is that calling. It's that calling to forsake sin, to turn from sin, to repent, to believe, and to follow Jesus. Mobilizing is what we do together. We train each other up to do the work of mission, to proclaim this good news. Now, how do we, how do, we do this? Well, we're going to see several steps. First of all, from our text here, our first step in this is to pray. God calls us to lean completely on him in the work of making and mobilizing disciples. We often look at a task of sharing the gospel with others. And it's, it's difficult, right? There's some awkwardness to it, perhaps. There's uh, the, the fact that we're putting ourselves out there. It's a difficult task, but God calls us to trust in him, to pray. We remember, Josh mentioned last week in Matthew 16, that Jesus promised that he will most certainly build his church. So we can trust that as we, as we live there is a promise that Jesus will do what he said he will do. He will build his church. So the beginning of living on mission is a life full of prayer. Now, what does that prayer look like? Well, first, it may look like praying for your immediate sphere of influence. Think about where you work, where you live. Do you regularly pray that God might use you to be a light for the gospel in that area? Do you pray that God might provide opportunities for you to share your story of how God has saved you? 
to welcome others into this grand mission, this message of the gospel. We can also pray for Trinity Community Church's sphere of influence. See, we live individually on mission in our different spheres of influence, but as a church, God calls us corporately to live on mission. So what does that look like? Well, that looks like praying that we might see more and more people join us, maybe here on a Sunday morning gathering, maybe in our community groups, uh, as we reach out to different, um, different spheres like Cradle of Hope, the different ministries that we're partnered with, we can pray that Trinity Community Church would continue to be faithful in those things. We think about when we do uh, a Roslyn Day or the car show. Maybe we have a table set up. Are we praying that God would bring people there to hear about Trinity Community Church, to maybe take that first step towards hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ? A third way we can pray is for the global work of making and mobilizing disciples. We have thousands of brothers and sisters across the world that are preaching the gospel to those who have never heard it. We see, even in our congregation here, some people who are back on furlough or planning to go to the mission field. God encourages us to pray that he would send laborers into those fields, into those harvests. Brothers and sisters, we must pray. It is up to God to build his church. So we trust that as we pray, he will do that. And prayer really is the first step of that living on mission because think of it this way. The things we pray about are often things that we deeply care about. We might pray for our families. We pray for our friends. We pray for um, things regarding work. The things that are important to us, we often spend time praying for. As we pray for mission, and as it becomes deeply rooted in our rhythm of life, it then begins to work itself out to not just prayer, but living, acting. So first we see God calls us to pray. Secondly, he calls us to go. We see here the 72, uh, 72 disciples in verse 3, they're going their way. Christ is sending them out to go to specific places. Now, God calls us to go. Now, it may look different for us. He may not call us to go across the country. He may not call us to go overseas. But he calls us to be a part of the spheres of influence that we have. So consider this. What are the places that you are normally going to? Where are the places that you might go that you can be showing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing the message of the good news? Well, one immediate one we can think of is perhaps your neighborhood. One of the most important parts of living on mission is simply being seen on a regular basis by other people. We want to be that person who's walking around the neighborhood and greeting our neighbors. So it's difficult at this time of year, right? It's been like 10 degrees outside. It's not too many of you are taking walks, and if you are, that's incredible. But as we prepare for the spring and the summertime, one very practical encouragement I would give to all of you, take time to walk around your neighborhood. If you see those that are outside, greet them. Be a face that people, regu that people regularly recognize. If you have a yard sale in your neighborhood, go to the yard sale. It's a great way to meet some neighbors, and who knows, you might pick up some cool, I, I don't know, uh, 
my dad would pick up Hot Wheels cars. He would go out to all sorts of yard sales to go find the red lines hot. So if you like Hot Wheels, go to the yard sale. <laughs> but it's a great way to be regularly seen in our communities. Now, many of you have children. Think of the soccer games that you're going to. Think of time at the bus stop. Um, maybe you're dropping your children off at school. You're going to be regularly seen by a lot of the same people in those areas. I would encourage you to be there and to just introduce yourself. Become friends with people. Take your kids to the same playground. Maybe you're a mom and you're, you're, perhaps you're at home with your kids. Um, you don't get maybe as many opportunities to be at work or to be um, out at different coffee shops or things like that, but maybe you go to a park on a regular basis. Maybe you show up at the playground. You have a lot in common with the other people there. I would encourage you to think of ways as we move into especially a warmer weather season to be in places where you can be regularly seen by other people to simply get to know others. For those of you um, that maybe enjoy frequenting a restaurant or a coffee shop, I would encourage you to be that kind of person that when you're there, you can just say, I'll have the usual. And they know exactly what you want because they see you there so often. It's that first step in proclaiming the message of the gospel, right? Getting to know people, meeting people. See, what I really want to focus on today as we think about living on mission is sometimes we have this, this grand picture of eventually we're going to have to meet somebody, we're going to have to sit down and drop this gospel bomb on them that they weren't expecting. But I don't think it always has to be that way. There are most certainly times when perhaps you meet somebody at the bus stop, perhaps you're on the plane with somebody, and you talk about what Jesus has done in your life. But I want to take away some of the fear of those big, intimidating conversations and help us realize that the first step is simply being with people. So God calls us to go. What if you can't go? Maybe, maybe you are physically unable to spend time taking a walk around the neighborhood. Perhaps you have many children and it limits you to the places you can go. I would encourage you to do what we said in the last step, and that is pray. There is nothing wrong with praying that Jesus Christ would build his church. You are being an active participant in the building of God's kingdom, even through your prayer. So if you are one of those people who perhaps can't walk around on a regular basis, who are limited in that, know that as you pray, God is using your prayers to accomplish his work of building his kingdom. So he calls us to pray. He calls us to go. He calls us to eat. That's probably not what you were expecting in the application of a sermon, but he calls us to eat. Now, why do I say that? Eating is a part of every single person's rhythm of life, right? If I were to ask, do a survey of how many people eat, I think 100% of people would say yes. <laughs> we all need food. Jesus' way of making and mobilizing disciples was often to spend time eating with people. And here's the thing with eating. There's something special, something almost spiritual about eating together. So every time we eat, we are reminded that we are weak, needy people, right? Every day we have to take food, consume it, just so that we can live. And isn't this so similar to the gospel? 
We are weak and needy people. And apart from the words of life that Jesus gives us, we will languish and die. Eating is so much like our just normal rhythm of gospel life. Eating is one of the most enjoyable experiences we have on a regular basis. I love to eat. I love to eat good food. There is something so magnificent about taking food that is good to eat and enjoying it with other people. Eating around the table is a time to put away distractions and to focus on spending time with each other. It's a time to share about life. I remember when I first uh, joined Trinity Church, it's probably about two years ago at this point, the way I got to know people here was them inviting me into their homes and eating meals with them. It was a very simple gesture, but a very hospitable and kind gesture that began to incorporate me into the family of God here at Trinity Church. Eating together is a way that we become friends. It's a way that we bring our defenses down. We open up when we're sitting at the table with one another. We are open up to share about life, to share our experiences, to share our hopes and dreams, to share our worries, the things that haunt our souls. Eating is a great step in being a part of other people's lives. See, again, I want to take away this, um, this intimidating picture of someday we're going to have to sit down with somebody and have this out-of-the-blue conversation about Jesus Christ. Now, again, that may happen, but the normal rhythm of life is that we would become friends with someone. We might invite them into our homes. We might meet them after work for dinner, and we would get to know them, talk about life with them, and begin to learn more and more about them. I remember um, one of the most vivid pictures of what food does to bring people together. Uh, so my friend Jeremy and I, we love to barbecue. We've got a, a barbecue pit, it's a big barrel, we'll smoke ribs, brisket, chicken, pork. We'll have you all over sometime. It'll be great. But as soon as the neighbors start smelling that smoke, that barbecue, all of a sudden people start wandering over to just check out what's going on. That is a great way to begin just experiencing life with people, to welcome them and say, hey, we're going to make a lot of food. Come on over. We'll talk. We'll have a good time. We'll get to know each other a little bit. Now, perhaps you're someone who maybe, maybe you're not doing barbecues every weekend. Maybe you don't consider yourself to be a great cook. Thinking of having people over into your home to eat is a little intimidating. This is where we can mobilize each other. Connect with someone who you see is very hospitable. Connect with somebody maybe in your community group so that you can begin to do this together. We don't have to be lone wolves in this mission. God calls us to do this as a family. So take some time, find someone that you see is really good at inviting other people into their home and just say, hey, I would love to be a part of one of those meals with you. Maybe it's your community group. I am sure there's somebody in your community group who is very hospitable. I know there is in mine. Kate Bondarenko is one of the most hospitable people I've ever met. And you can use different times. Maybe it's that fifth Tuesday of the month uh, where you don't have anything planned. It's not a guy's night. It's not a whole group meeting. Maybe you just all get together for a meal, and maybe this is a time to invite some friends over, 
to invite some neighbors over into your home. I would encourage you to find ways to be around the table with others because this is where we begin to experience life with each other. So God calls us to pray. He calls us to go, to be regularly seen. He calls us to eat. He calls us to listen. Now, one of the most memorable quotes I remember from Francis Schaeffer. Uh, Francis Schaeffer is a, a, a recent, uh, a, a well-known apologist. So he's writing about, here's how we um, know that the gospel is true. Here's how you might share the gospel with others. Francis Schaeffer, when asked, um, he would say, if I had 60 minutes to spend with someone, I would take 55 minutes to listen, to ask questions, to understand where they're coming from, to, to dig deeper into their lives and take the last five minutes to then maybe share some thoughts with them. Maybe that's the time where he would share the message of the gospel with those people. Brothers and sisters, we are so prone to talk and talk and talk, and even in our thinking of living on mission, we often think it's us needing to go talk and talk and talk to somebody. But I would encourage you to slow down when you're at the table with someone, when you're getting dinner after work, when you're at the playground, to ask questions about that person's life. Ask, what are some of the most influential things that have happened to you? What's your story? Where are you coming from? Asking questions like that so that you can begin to learn who that person is, where they're coming from, and where, they're need, where they are needy. See, the gospel, it meets our needs. It first saves us from our sin. It meets that need. But it also begins to renew our brokenness. So as we begin to understand where people are coming from, what they struggle with, what their deepest fears are, what their highest dreams are, we then understand here's how the gospel meets those needs. Good listeners make good friends. One of the most admirable things about Jesus, I think, in the scriptures, and there are many admirable things, but one of the things I love about Jesus is when I see him, I say, Jesus, he was a good friend to all of those around him. God calls us to be like Jesus in that we can be good friends to those around us so that we have now earned the right to speak truth, to speak the gospel into their lives, to show them that there is good news, that they can be saved from sin, that they can be a part of the family of God. This is what God calls us to. Listening to someone helps helps you understand them, and it helps identify how you can speak meaningful truth into their lives. So we start off, we pray. We trust that God will build his kingdom. We go. We eat together. We listen to those, and then we share. At some point, we are called to share the gospel. Our lives most certainly should reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we follow Jesus, our lives are changed, right? We no longer do the things that we used to do. We obey him. We love others. We are kind to all people. We fight for justice. So the gospel, our lives reflect the gospel. And God calls us to give an explanation to others about what he has done. So you, you may be familiar with the quote. Um, it's, it goes something like this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Now, what that quote is getting to is your whole life 
should be a preaching of the gospel. Your actions should be preaching the gospel, which I wholeheartedly agree with. But I want to challenge you to recognize that the gospel, it is a message of words, that we must go and preach that Jesus is God, that Jesus has come to call people to turn from their sin, to trust in him, to believe in him, so that they might be saved from their sin and from their sorrow. Words are necessary in that message. So I encourage you to do both. Share both your life, let people see it, but share the words. Now this is where things get tough. It's difficult sometimes to articulate the gospel to others, to know how to explain that Jesus comes to save. So here's how I would encourage you to start. Start by sharing your story. I can remember a time with one of my friends at work. We were driving to an event, and um, we had just begun talking. I don't know how the conversation started, but at some point we got to a point where uh, we began talking about what are some of the most important things that have happened in your life. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know deep down that the most important thing that has happened in your life is God has saved you. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and now you are a child of the king. Feel free to share that story with others. Will it be awkward? May you get funny looks from time to time? There's a good chance you will. And there's, a, there's a chance, too, that somebody might welcome that, especially what's very interesting in our culture now is because of the, the openness about a lot of things, you'll hear people say, well, that's great for you. So you may not even get that hostile, awkward response that you're expecting. But even if you do, even if there is an awkward look that you get, an awkward moment pales in comparison to eternity. Brothers and sisters, let us not let awkwardness be the thing that holds us back from taking part in this glorious mission of building the kingdom of God. God has called us to join him in this. Let us not let something like an awkward moment, although difficult, tough to deal with, it is a glorious task that Jesus has called us to. Talk about what you love. Now, if you've known me for any amount of time, you will know that I'm from Buffalo, and I love the city of Buffalo, I love everything about Buffalo. I love the Buffalo Bills. One of my greatest tasks is to make sure everyone knows that Buffalo wings come from Buffalo. There are probably like 20 of you that were just like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. I talk about what I love. I love that city. But when we think about Jesus Christ, he is far greater than any city I could be from. He has called me to a city that is much greater than anyone here on earth. If we love Jesus, it's something that will naturally pour out of what we're doing. Perhaps it may be difficult to, to talk about that. Perhaps our love for Jesus has grown cold, and that's why it's become difficult to share that message. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to ensure that your heart and your soul is set on the sweetness of God, on his goodness for what he has done for you, what he has done for his people, and what he will do in eternity. Breathe in the goodness of God, because as we inhale his goodness, 
we then begin to exhale the good news that Jesus is good, that he has come to save. Breathe in that goodness so that you can exhale the good news. And then listen to the Spirit. I firmly believe that the Spirit may prompt us at certain times to share. Maybe it's something we weren't expecting. I can remember a time when I was with one of my coworkers. I think we were at the driving range of all places. And it was the Spirit's prompting to just simply share, share your story. Share about what God has done in your life. Share about how that has shaped everything that you now do. Listen to the Spirit's prompting and pray that he would prompt you for the times when it is appropriate to share that message of the good news. Now, I don't want to be naive. There are fears about this. I have many, many fears. There are many difficulties. There are many things standing against us when it comes to living on mission. For one, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it may feel awkward. You know, even inviting somebody into your home for the first time, it may not feel like the most natural sort of thing. Conversation at first might feel a little stiff. But brothers and sisters, this isn't something that we're called to do in the next two weeks. It's not something that we're called to do in the next year. It's something that we're called to do over the entire course of our lives. So feel free to have that burden lifted off of you of this pressure to do something right away. But take time to build that rapport, to build those relationships so that over the next several years as you go deep with other people, as you dig deep into their lives, you have now gained a platform for speaking truth into their lives. Another fear may be the fact that we don't have the answers to every question. Trust me, there are some interesting questions that you get from people when you begin talking about the scriptures, when you begin talking about how you know God. You might hear something, well, you don't actually know God. No, no I know God. There are difficult concepts that people might ask about. Well, again, I want to encourage you, start with your story. Start with your experience and your encounter with God himself. Begin there and f- understand that sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. Now, I would encourage you to maybe find a friend who is more knowledgeable than you. I think of, um, I often go to Brandon Zerlip when I have questions about um, the, the origins of the scripture or deep, difficult theological truths that lots of people ask about. Find someone who knows more than you, who is smarter than you. Partner with them so that they can help you understand some of those things. But feel the freedom to humbly say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. We will get questions that no book has the written out answer to. We're going to get questions about suffering. We're going to get questions about struggling in life. We're going to get questions about deep theological things that our minds can't even comprehend. Struggle to answer them as best as you can, but rest in knowing that as you share the gospel, God is taking your work and he is using it to build his kingdom. Isn't that encouraging? Even in our feeblest attempts to share the gospel with others, God uses it to bring about his kingdom. Perhaps you're here and maybe you're not an extrovert. You're more introverted. Thinking about even having a conversation with somebody else is scary. It's difficult. Well, 
I want, you to, I want to encourage you who are maybe the introvert with two things. First, connect with a brother or sister who isn't. I want to encourage us as a church to recognize that we are doing this together. So perhaps you know someone who's very outgoing. You know someone who's able to connect very well with people. Maybe they're in your community group, maybe not. Connect with them and say, I see your gifting with people. You are such a great people person. I want to hang out with you more. I want to um, try to invite other people into our home, and I want you to be a part of it. Connect with other people in the church. We are all gifted in different ways. This is not all up to you. You have help in this. And I also encourage you to start small. Again, we often have this picture that there's going to be this grand conversation, and it's going to be, it's going to end with yelling, with hostility, and all those things. Start small. Start simply by going to that yard sale. Start simply by going to that restaurant on a regular basis. Maybe you begin by asking the server, hey, I'm going to pray before my meal. I'd like to pray for you. Is there anything I can pray about? You've begun a relationship with them, and then although it may be awkward at first, you're beginning to plant seeds that will hopefully someday bloom. Of course, we all fear rejection. We may be rejected, and I wish I could come up here and say, here's the, here's the silver bullet to not feeling bad when you're rejected. Here's the way you can never be rejected. But we recognize that Jesus himself, he was rejected. Even a few paragraphs before the one I read, the Samaritans rejected Jesus. If Jesus himself was rejected, we too can expect to experience rejection from time to time. I want to encourage you to recognize that this is part of following Jesus. There's a reason we read the cost of following Jesus. There may be difficult things. There may be challenging people that we deal with. There may be times of rejection. This is the glorious call that Jesus has called us to. If he was rejected, if he was killed, we too can experience difficulty on this road. But I'd encourage you with this. Even in your rejection, first of all, you are being obedient to God. You are glorifying him in your proclamation of the gospel. And you never know what God may do with that person. When you are rejected, keep praying. Pray and pray and pray that, that your words would take root at some point. And we never know how God may work in ways that we could never comprehend. The two final exhortations before we close this morning. Making and mobilizing disciples, it is a work of love. It can be easy to fall into the trap of thinking that as followers of Jesus, we are now called to um, convert people. It's not merely a conversion. Sure, their life, their change in going to Jesus, their life is being converted from darkness into light, but it is primarily a work of love. Love, first of all, for God himself. Brothers and sisters, God has saved us. He's welcomed us into the kingdom of God, and now we get to glorify him. We have the privilege of loving him by sharing that message with other people. So it's a work of love for God himself, and it's a work of love to others. We do know that 
Sin brings judgment. Sin brings despair. We are called to go share the message out of love for our neighbors, out of love for our coworkers. I want you to recognize, to feel that tension, that there is eternity. Either we will spend eternity with God himself or we will spend eternity separated from him. And we should feel that tension. We should feel that weight in some way, but recognize that although there is that need and although there, there is that weight, we are empowered with the Holy Spirit himself. And now we have the opportunity to address that need. We don't, we don't share the gospel simply out of a, a need of uh, a feeling of guilt or merely of duty, but out of love for all of those so that they might also experience the joy we have in knowing God himself. And lastly, I encourage you to rest. As we said in Matthew 16, Jesus tells us that we, that he will indeed build his church. So trust that as you go about your life, as you live on mission, as you go to the playground, as you go to the restaurant, as you work hard, as you invite other people into your home, as you share your story, and as you share the gospel, Jesus is using that to build his church, and we can rest on that truth. Rest knowing that your work is meaningful, that God will most certainly use it. So Trinity Community Church, this is the mission that God has called us to. I encourage you to reckon with it this week. Ask God how you might join in that mission so that we might see God's kingdom built. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your work of the gospel. We thank you so much for calling us out of the kingdom of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, I pray that you would equip us to do the work of mission. I pray that you would use us to share the gospel with others. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring fruit from that work, that you would build your kingdom here at Trinity Community Church. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful for what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.